Welcome to Faith Restructured. I'm Cole. And I'm Mike. Here we cover topics on faith, deconstruction, and reconstruction. We discuss books that have helped us through the process, and we'll interview some friends and experts along the way. Let's jump into today's episode. It is raining. I'm in a... I'm Dude. Okay. Use your words. So yesterday... I looked down Love in my car. I looked down in my car, and there's okay. fourteen dollars in the cr- in the crack between my seat and the console. Fourteen dollars. It's not like I found a dollar or a quarter. I found enough to have Spotify for a month. That's not true. Wow, that's the family plan for a month. But yeah, I don't know how much does Spotify cost. Ten dollars. I'm an Apple Music man, so sorry. Uh, we are. Jumping into another one of these episodes, we did one kind of similar to this uh, on the atonement theories, and so we thought we'd jump into another one that's really cool. But first off, how about that episode with Justin McRoberts? I don't know. I didn't listen to it. Of course you didn't. That's the either. that's what any of you who are lame would say. <laughs> I'm Mike who hasn't listened to it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Justin was a really cool guest to have on. Uh, I hope we can get him back because I'm realizing there were a bunch of things I would have liked to ask him, but you know, you only have so much time in an hour to talk yeah. and you want to follow the flow of conversation as much as possible. But um, just today I was reading his uh, 40 days of prayer book with Scott Erickson and just kind of flipping through some of those and reflecting on those images that they have. So man, I, I like, I would love to get inside his brain about how do you, do that like did scott paint a bunch of stuff and then you wrote a prayer about the painting did you write a prayer and then scott drew a painting about the prayer did you Mm. guys sit down in the same room and just start saying stuff like i don't know but somehow saying stuff he went 40 for 40 so um yeah and sometimes i find it difficult just to get words out Mm -hmm. so we all find that difficult for you too Yeah, well, today, uh, unlike the episode we did on the atonement, where we were telling you about a bunch of stuff that is pretty common Christian doctrine, we're going to give you our two cents about some stuff about the church and um, hopefully bringing some perspective as not as experts in in any sense, but as two people that have been working in churches officially for more than the better half of a decade, I guess. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm Mm-hmm. So, yeah, uh, a lot of what we're talking about with our faith and faith journeys and how we shift, how we grow is trying to figure out what faith looks like together. And that is what the church is called to be. Um, also noticing, like, as we think about some of our audience, who is people who are either searching or people who have been hurt by the church in the past, um, you know, Mike and I you've probably picked up on it. Like we still value church and we still value um, being in a community of faith uh, when the time is right. And, and, um, and that, that, that can look like something healthy. And so I think our main goal behind this episode is just to talk about some of the things that are healthy and what we should be looking for in our, in our church, in our community, in our spaces and, and Mike has a new pair of glasses that every time I look over, I just am not ready for. Uh, I love them, but I'm just not ready for it. 
Listen, after over a year and a half of quarantine, I finally decided to get blue light glasses and they work. But Cole's a hater. I'm not you a know hater. What? I listen like back for our first 17 episodes up to this point. And I want you to keep a tally of how many insults Cole hurls at me and how many times I turn the other cheek. And this is another moment where it will happen. So jumping you know, in. So, you know that Mike has waited 17 episodes to say, hey, look at how I did not insult Cole at all so that he could say right now, hey, go back and look at how. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Check the record to all the people that don't like our banter. I'm not sorry, um, but here we are. So. Jumping into some positive pieces of church, I think it's helpful to reorient ourselves and uh, in light of um, the lexical practice that Justin talked about on his episode of just making sure we're defining words the same way. I think church is any community of believers, period. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes we think of the building and you know, we go, oh, church isn't a building, but like two months into quarantine, everyone's like, let us in the building, like that Eric mm-hmm. Andre mm-hmm. skit, like, let me yeah. in. Um, <laughs> so uh, we have some misconceptions about like the physical structure of a church and you start to go down like the flow chart, like, OK, do you need a physical building? No. OK, well, after that, like, do you need more than 100 people, more than 50? Do you need people of every age? Like, what's the ideal situation? And I think it really is captured by the language of Jesus talking about his presence and God's presence of where two or three are gathered. I think that can be as simple as what church is like the early church in particular. Like sometimes we think of like Paul's letters to the Corinthians and we're like, yeah, that would have been like the letter to the Americans in the United States. And it's like, no, it was, it's estimated that it was like a total of less than 300 people amongst many, many house churches that were probably five to 10 people each, and they would get Mm -hmm. together and pass this letter around. So if that's our mentality, sometimes no wonder it gets so complicated to think about how church functions as a organized body of hundreds of people, because it's just so much harder to manage hundreds of people, so much harder to cast vision over hundreds of people, um, to know hundreds of people, you know, it's always going to get reduced down to the few people, you know, really well. And then the few people, you know, kind of well, and then all the other people that you just tolerate because they're there. Mm -hmm. So those are some of the tensions, but I think at its fundamental level, church is just where two or three people are gathered together. Um, I agree with that. And I think that the only things that I would add are kind of the light and the dark side of it. The light side is it's a place where we're all striving to to become imitators of Christ, right? That's what Paul talks about too, is is um, you know, imitate me as I imitate Christ. And and I one of the things I love about Paul is he says honestly, like, hey, there's things that I struggle with, there's things that I do that I that I don't want to do, and like all those things. So I think he's very honest in his leadership of this isn't a perfect, this isn't a perfection thing, right? But it's, it's us moving in a direction and gathering together to say, Hey, imitating this person is what we're here to do. And how can we come together to do that to in, in a way that uh, honors 
all of our individual contexts, but also shares in this collective community and um, communion uh, together as well. I think the dark side of it, that it's just kind of a, a reality I am starting to accept a lot more. Uh, and this might be hard for, for some people to hear, but it's in America um, specifically, or not specifically, but, but most predominantly, um, it is a business and it's a nonprofit. And that means you hire in people and that means it structured somewhat like a business and whether you want it to be that way or not, um, is totally up to you. You can decide the community you want to be a part of. But I think when we do say church specifically here in the United States, we are talking oftentimes about something that has some structure to it. And so as we talk about what we think is helpful for church, I think, we can't avoid structure, um, but we can speak into the structures that be. Yeah, it is interesting. The amount of churches that talk about, yeah, we need to be like the church of acts. And then in the next breath, talk about their next capital campaign, which like all churches, I mean, there have been, even if they didn't call it a capital campaign, you can't build the cathedrals of like the nine hundreds without Mm-hmm. a lot and a lot and a lot of resources and money but mm-hmm. it is just a little uh, ironic to me to to think about it that way because the the concerns and acts were all about caring for the community both members of the church and not um i mean maybe that's a good place to start like thinking about how uh churches are present in their communities like obviously mm-hmm. that depends on a myriad of factors, whether it's rural or urban, but um, is an older church, a younger church, you know, what do we mean by older and younger, I guess. But I find it interesting as a youth worker, uh, youth director, youth pastor, whatever title we want to use, like the topic of missions always comes up like, okay, like what trip are you going to do? <laughs> like even the language of mission trip sounds really interesting to me because we've, re- I don't want to say we reduce it, Certainly, if you think missions is only a trip, you're reducing it. But mm-hmm. the idea that like a church needs to go on a trip outside of the immediate community to a new place to go do the work of Jesus. And it's mm-hmm. like, yeah, but like, is our church involved in the work of Jesus here in this place? And it's not like it's not viable to do that in other places, too. It doesn't have to be one or the other, but it does seem like when mission trips become the focal point of doing the work, then the local stuff usually falls by the wayside. Like there's not as much Mm -hmm. energy excitement um, or passion behind being present here. So I wonder like why in a large church setting that usually becomes the MO. Mm. Yeah. I don't know what the answer to that is. I've, I've worked now in a, a small rural, uh, church i've worked in a large rural church and in a large i guess you would call it like suburban upper upper middle class um church and i think what i've seen is all three of those places do mission trips um but i don't know if it is just a local mission thing um because you just it seems like the way that most people support those places is like you have your two or three different things that, that certain members of the church are like, I'm really passionate about doing this, which is great. Like, yeah, we should support our, our members who have, have those sorts of 
passions in our churches, but um, it does seem like it's more like funding that they do to places. And so larger churches have more funding available and less, I don't, I don't know, maybe not less of those people who have the passion in those places, but um, yeah, I don't know. It mission is definitely something that I go back and forth on in, in just like, what's our role? What are we, especially as youth workers, like, what are we supposed to be teaching students about what it looks like? Because there is something you can only get by taking students out of their context to another place where things like click for them. They're like, Oh, this is what it means to be somebody who can, who can meet the needs of people. But at the same time, those needs are here. (laughs) Those needs are right around the corner. Like we've been, we've been doing those things, you know, even having moved into a new church, like I'm already involved in some of those things that, that we don't really let our members know about, but the people of the church who work there do. So I don't know. Yeah, I don't want to go down this rabbit hole too much, but maybe that's a whole nother episode to kind of think through a theology of mission and how these things work. But um, I do think how we understand mission really impacts how we understand church, because what I have found is I'm torn because short term mission trips. So I'd say anything under six months, but 99% of those are one to two weeks long. Mm-hmm. are amazing opportunities to build relationships, to to shift your cultural lens, to learn as the people going on the trip. But just about every study that's come out about short-term mission trips say that they're not, they're not really that anything. helpful yeah. for the people you're doing it for. Right. Um, so does that mean they should stop entirely? Does it mean that we should expand how we pursue those things? Like I've been a part of a couple different uh opportunities that have emphasized that reality. So they've shifted how they try to um, foster those kinds of environments for short-term trips, like leaning into the fact that it's sometimes about um, the group doing the work so that they can do work with them on a cultural side. And I'm not just talking about like international trips, but like the culture of taking uh, kids that are like really familiar with the city and taking them into Appalachia or something like that, or vice versa, taking rural kids into the city. Um, I don't know. I I think expanding, uh, here's how I'll pivot this and find a way to uh, connect it. I think the, a fundamental piece of what it means to be church is to understand like the vast diversity in human experience and to celebrate that and not, um, not be afraid of it and not, Mm. uh, diminish it because what we get most comfortable with doing is finding what we like and sticking to that. And that makes sense. Like that's the simplest way to live this life is to find the things that are pretty reasonably easy and the things that you enjoy and to keep doing those things. And when you come to things that are not easy or not enjoyable, why would you continue to do those things unless there's a desired end? It is not easy to be with people that you don't necessarily like or agree with or share the similar um, interests with. But when we affirm that the church is a body of many members, we have to affirm that it is expressed in very different ways. And often what happens, especially in American Christianity, or I I would say just Western Christianity as a whole, um, I don't think American is fair, um, is that we kind of get this mentality like we've got a a hold on like what the right way of doing things is. 
and then project that onto everyone else. And it doesn't do justice to all of the different ways that this faith has been expressed over time. Like even the debates about like the kind of music, for example, like, Oh, can you have guitars and drums and all these things in your worship? Like there was a time when hymns were debatable in the church and people weren't sure. Like John Calvin, I think was burning organs in the street, church organs, not human organs, Um, smashing stained glass windows because of the connection to Roman Catholicism and that's idolatry and you know that's the great iconoclasm so like these perceptions of how the church should express the faith together has changed over time and here in 2021 we're trying to figure out how do we best express our faith in a way that has open arms to all kinds of different expressions does that make sense yeah so then i think the question or maybe what we where we go with this is like, what are some of those ways that we see church expressed? Well, when you like what, like what you're saying about missions, right? That's a big turnoff for a lot of people is when they see the church um, existing and like maybe giving money, but, but not specifically addressing the needs of their community. Like, and so I think we would say like a healthy view of what missions looks like, or at least what, what church looks like is that it, it meet, it addresses and meets the needs of the community that it is involved in, whether that is specifically the church or where the church is located. Right. Another thing that um, Shane Claiborne talks about, but also is, is um, kind of, I think more directly attributed to Brian Stevenson is uh, he says, like, we got to get proximate to people. Like Mm. we're not, we're not close to the people around us and not just in the way, like you said, of missions where it's like one week and we're out, like, um, then we're not gonna, we're not going to make the changes in, in our community that we want to see. We're not going to help the kingdom of God come here. Um, we're just going to be those people who pass on stuff for other people to, or we're going to be the people who get what we need out of the situation and then leave, um, And I just think that as we look more towards the future of what church looks like, that is a big piece of it for me, for the missions section, for for sure. What do you think? So another one of these areas, I think is like a sticking sticky point is kind of the structure of churches, right? So oftentimes in the, in the more non-denom church world, whether that's, liberal or conservative like that doesn't matter non-denom can transcend that um typically the the organizational structure of that specific church is is more senior pastor driven there's a board but they kind of are just like rubber stamping things and like saying yeah the budget's good because the pastor said so (laughs) um which allows for a lot of freedom of movement. Like it allows for the church to go in the direction, in a direction. Um, whereas when you get more into the, the denominational settings, more high church governance places um, that, you know, the United Methodist is kind of like the, the, the lowest rung of that. Then maybe it's like Lutheran churches and then Presbyterian churches are like, you have a session and the pastor only gets one vote out of the whole session. And so really his job is his or her job is, is helping to sway things. Right. Um, but it, it tends to not be as free moving. And so 
what do you think health looks like in terms of church governance? So I grew up Baptist, well, independent Baptist, because there is like some Baptists that are part of a larger structure, but there wasn't much, um, much structure. There are the deacons, but like you said, it was very much driven by here's a senior pastor and maybe the founding pastor too before him. And yeah, he's not going to make a decision theoretically just out of the blue on his own, but for the most part, they get the final say. Whereas now I'm in a Presbyterian church, which is the opposite where like our pastors get to talk during session meetings, but they don't get a vote. Like their role is to pastor the church, Mm. which is not just preaching. It's helping cast vision. It's helping lead. It's helping with congregational care, meeting people Mm -hmm. where they are. Uh, But the church itself is of the people. Um, It's supposed to be led by the people. So session are a bunch of normal lay people. And then the people that report to session are all the committees, which are a smaller set of structures that are uh, wider to capture more people in the church. And then each of the committees has subcommittees and then each of those subcommittees never ends. Um, it's order to the utmost, which can be problematic too. But I'll say like, as much as having that much structure can slow things down sometimes for the worse, I think it makes more sense to have that than not because it provides accountability and it provides clarity of thought, vision, and goals. Because I think what often happens is churches, like everyone sets out theoretically, I guess, in an idealistic world with good intentions. But when it comes to church, it's like, oh, yeah, I just want to show up and like hear the word and feel good and like feel the presence of God. And it's like, all right, well, like, how do we do that? What time are our services going to be? And why are they going to be at that time? And what is the content in those services? And do we have pre-written prayers or spontaneous prayers? And what kind of music? And how long do the sermons go? I mean, these are questions that like, as you're listening, you might go, duh, sermons should be 30 to 40 minutes. Interesting. Some churches only have five-minute sermons. Some churches have 20 minutes. Some have sermons that are over an hour. Like, who's making that decision? Is it just the new pastor who decided, I always speak for an hour? Or is it some larger structure that has dictated that's how things should go. Um, So for me personally, uh, I think that structure is really crucial for providing, yeah, accountability for who are we as a church? What is our identity? I think it might make sense if churches revisited those kinds of questions regularly, which would require a lot of turnover in those leadership positions. Cause what happens, I think sometimes is you get the same couple people driving, you know, mm. the boat of session in a Presbyterian context, and it could keep the culture the same for a long time. And we governance, see this governance structure. I love it. Says Mike Kramer spoken like a true Presbyterian. <laughs> hey man, let's go. No, I, so for most people who have been burnt by church, I think they can often point to a person that burned them. And, or maybe a couple people, you know, when you get into to it. Um, and so what I love about the church structure is where we all go through periods of unhealth, 
as people, as leaders, as just bodies, like human bodies, right? We all go through these periods of unhealth and it's a lot to ask of a senior pastor to be completely healthy all the time. Now that's different than saying a senior pastor should have integrity. Um, and I think that's another issue that, that happens a lot in these situations, but best case scenario, when people have been burnt, the senior pastor was probably in an unhealthy spot and there was nobody else to fall back on. Like your, your words fell on deaf ears. And so <clears throat> that's what I love about structures more like the Presbyterian church where you got a whole committee you can talk to. Right. And if your church is really good about it, they're looking for people who've got very level heads. You're not looking for the, you're looking for a couple of the people who are like kind of out there, visionary people, but you want the people who are, they care for the people of this church. They, they care a lot about this place and they want to see it grow, succeed, but they also want to see them. They also want to see people taken care of. And so there's a lot less room for one person to be somebody's issue and for that to be the reason why somebody leaves the church or somebody gets burned by the church or any of that sort of stuff. It, it also helps to unroot some toxic stuff that people might see in a leader um, because there's this structure and this organization that like, if you kind of work with the committee that that person works with or something like that, um, it's not like that person can just explode on everybody at the church because then they look back, <laughs> like then it's clear. And so there's a lot of room for grace. There's a lot of room for critique. There's a lot of room for, like you said, accountability of leadership. Um, and so I do think too, like the, the pros outweigh the cons in more governing structure than less. Um, yeah. Yeah. I'm thinking back to our interview with Scott, Evans, uh, for anyone else listening that hasn't heard that. But at the end of that conversation, we talked about just the need to step away from programs and models and to use some of Justin's language schematics and, you know, the new seven step program to make your church awesome. <laughs> and just the shift towards like, we need to come together as a community that with shared values, right? And uh, how those values that he's kind of described and articulated guide his um, community. And I was just thinking about how, how do you do that when you've got like hundreds of thousands of dollars in some scenarios coming in in tithing, you know, if you have 500 members in your church or a thousand, or how do you just say, it's just about values. And I, th <clears throat> I think there is a point at which like, and I'm, this is the perspective of Mike Kramer. You guys can take it or leave it, but I do think there is some ambiguous number where there's a size that's too big for churches to be healthy. Mm. Um, because often what I think people, when people think, talk about church as uh, like a part of their lives, or if you're experimenting with new churches, very seldom do I hear like, Oh, the community was awesome. The first two things you hear about are typically how was the sermon and how is the music, mm -hmm. not what were the practices of this place? And you know, growing up in a non-liturgical church in the traditional sense, meaning that they didn't have like a set structure of every service, uh, even though they did, they just didn't call it that. <laughs> and now being in uh, a 
liturgical setting, but not like the highest church setting. It's not like high Anglican or uh, Roman Catholic or something like that. Uh, I find that there's a lot of ways in which thinking about like churches being too big really concerns me. And like, Mm. so like the church I worshiped at in undergrad, for example, like I didn't love the preaching there, but I love the community there. I love the practices there. I love that we took communion every week, Mm. no matter what. I loved that. Like there was a place for college age students. Like it was a community that functioned well. Like we had meals together, like every, I don't know if it was every Sunday now I'm trying to remember let's just say once a month. Cause even that would be impressive right after church. There was just a light luncheon, like for anyone that wanted to be there and it just fostered community and breaking bread together and eating. And those are the kinds of practices that showed where values lied. And I think that's the kind of thing where the bigger that you get, the harder it is to do things like that on the one hand. And on the other hand, it just becomes difficult, I think, for us as 21st century people to reorient ourselves in a way that's not making it about us, which is weird. Cause like, if you're trying to find a community where you feel like your values align, of course you need to figure out if they actually align. But at the same time, sometimes a pastor is a terrible preacher, but an amazing pastor. And I wonder how much different like the spiritual health of churches would be if people stopped pursuing the greatest orators and speakers and started pursuing like the greatest, I don't know, pastors or spiritual leaders. Like that's a different thing. Um, And I think sometimes we reduce church to the bare bones and it looks awesome. Like you can say, but when you just say it's about a sermon and about music and the other things, I mean, even like the language of worship gets reduced to the songs. And it's like, no, like worship is far more than music. That's one iteration of it. But I think one of the, the stumbling blocks for us is viewing church as just this place that's supposed to meet all of my criteria or check all of my boxes. But if we start to pursue communities of faith with communal practices like in one of our last episodes talking about roar um he talked about like the importance of having like these unifying practices that remind us of who we are maybe that's a vesper service you know maybe it's just a meal maybe i, I don't know that but when i think about church sometimes i'm not comfortable with how often i think of church and I think of big building, packed congregation, et cetera. And I think that I keep saying I think a lot, but whatever. But those kinds of mentalities are precisely what leads us to anxiety when something like a pandemic comes and we're not allowed to go into a big church building and be shoulder to shoulder and be singing songs in the same space. What does it mean to be church if you can't be in the same building anymore? <laughs> Some like we talked about that stuff as hypotheticals for so long, and we're like, we don't need it. And then it happened, and we're like, we need it, you know. And I think that that is, um, I'm trying to think if it was a roar episode, I think it was where he talked about the, the need for us to learn, relearn how to read sacred texts. And I think that's because here's what I, what 
has happened in my brain. We've outsourced the, we've outsourced what faith, like what a faith journey is like. So we expect that person on that stage to let us know what it looks like. And if we show up and the service is moving and the music is mu- moving and the sermon is something we can digest and understand and it gives us points to walk away with, we, I mean, we, it's kind of cook or cookie cutter. Like we've, 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 and that's part of our, like, that's on us too, is like, we've reduced church down to this. Um, and I, th- I really enjoy that, that sentiment from roar that we need to get back to learning how to read sacred text because i think a lot of what we struggle with and if you see a lot of the things that have been quoted during some of these very sticky moments over the past year and a half it's like a lot of the same scripture like all in like all over the place like whether you're conservative whether you're um progressive whether you're on this side of this issue or that side of this issue like we all on those sides have like the verses that we read or the verses that we've memorized and quote and whatever and i think what was beautiful about the scott episode is when we were talking about um how we should feel about our rights as christians in the pandemic and all this stuff and and masking and all that scott used scripture that even I hadn't thought of, um, you know, I knew the story, but I hadn't thought of it, but I also haven't been seeking that over the past year and a half of like, what, what in scripture can point us in a direction that leads us closer to Christ and what Christ would be calling us to in these moments. And so as much as I love devotions and I love like the, <laughs> the little reflections with the one verse at the top of the page, like we really have reduced what it means to seek after the kingdom of God. And like I said earlier, to be imitators of Christ, that, that we can get by with that throughout the week and then download something on a Sunday into our brains that is going to magically change us because we hardly ever talk about it in the car ride home um yeah i i really think that communities for of faith that that look healthiest coming out of all this are communities that open scripture and that wrestle with tensions and um spend time not just trying to you know turn every book of the Bible into something about us. Um, yeah. I mean, rather seeking the, the wisdom behind them. Good. Sorry. No, 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 go ahead. No. <clears throat> think about like even the structure of our churches, like um, uh, a guy I'm working with now is very much into art and church art and church history. Uh, and he points out, like, just think about your sanctuary, wherever you either go to church now or wherever you did go to church when you went, um, how's it laid out? If you're a Protestant, chances are the center piece of your sanctuary is a pulpit or a podium or the place from which the person preaches. But if you go into a Roman Catholic church, that is not where the person preaches from. It's usually it's off hanging to the, on side. the wall somewhere. <laughs> where, what are they preaching from? They're preaching from the side and what's front and center in a Roman Catholic church is the altar. 
because the focal point at all points or at all times should be our faith in Jesus and Jesus's sacrifice and what's called the passion narrative, which is what's captured up in the atonement. Um, so even just those subtle kind of physiological changes in our spaces change our expectations. Um, because mm-hmm. to your point, like it, it's all of us, we're all part of this culture that has put into, uh, the community, what the expectations are for something like church. I think of like, um, like TED talks, TED talks are like some of the, the greatest speakers and communicators of all time. They're experts in their fields. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people would describe them as church for people. Why? Mm-hmm. Because you're learning, you're growing in the Western church in the 21st century. church has become a place where it's an incubator of knowledge. And that's not historically what it's been. Yeah. You told, you reminded each other of what you believe, but it was about doing life together. Mm. I think it looked far more like reminding ourselves of what it means to be community rather than, oh, I, I just feel like I didn't get anything out of the sermon today. Okay, well, <laughs> did you come here to worship God or to better yourself and learn? It doesn't have to be either or, but it does matter which order those things come in. And I think often we don't consciously try to say that worshiping God isn't the first thing. That's what we know the words to use. But if we're honest with ourselves, we go, ah, I did not like church today. It was not good stuff today. It's like, well, it wasn't for you. It was supposed to be for God and for this Mm -hmm. community. And chances are there's someone in your community, whether present or not, that is struggling. Like, did we as the church seek those people out? There's probably people in that community that are struggling with their beliefs, not just financially or emotionally or physically, but like with doubt. They don't Mm. know how to shoulder the grief that they're going through. Like, did we as the church come together and, and do that? There's the, um, I think it's in Amos where, uh, the prophet is talking to, uh, the people of Israel right there. And then some of the rulers that are rich and they believe that they've done such a great thing. And, um, they, they're just saying, Oh, we've followed all the laws. We're doing everything great. All the people are great. And Amos says, like, no, like the Lord has said that I hate all of your noisy worship. I hate your festivals. I hate it all because it, it, it's not genuine. Like, let justice roll down like rivers. I hate that there, there's a the lead singer of this band, Switchfoot. He, John Foreman has his own kind of solo projects he does. And he wrote a song about this, uh, that that very passage. And it's just like depressing but beautiful because often like we turn churches into the place where we talk about all the things we believe and then we don't do that we don't live out the values that we say that we aspire Mm -hmm. to have cole how long do you think a church service should be you just put me on the spot like that (laughs) no i'll bail you out no 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 okay I want the first word because otherwise it's going to sound like I'm coming after you. Uh, I think that it depends on the structure. So I think that we've, we've got the one hour thing. I think we've got it down pretty well. Um, Whether it's uh, like a more high church thing where they like have creed confession, that sort of stuff, or it's the more non-denom three songs, sermon response hymn song at the end right 
communion in there every, you know, quarter or whatever they do. Right. <laughs> um, I think that that's like fine. But one of the things I admired about a church um, back during college is like they did what they called, uh, I don't even remember, but it was like this, these big Bible studies you could sign up for where they were just like, we're just going to read through the whole book of X until we're done. And we're going to talk about things along the way. And so I don't, I mean, that was a big church though. So I don't know how they pulled that off, but for smaller communities of faith, like, I don't know that we need a worship or a one hour worship service every week. I think sometimes we need a four hour worship service where we get together, have a meal and we just say, Hey, we're going to read through, like you mentioned Amos, like we're just going to read through the whole book of Amos. We're going to talk about it. We're going to dig in. We're going to learn as much about it as we can. We're going to get the cultural context. We're going to get all the blah, 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 you know, all of these things. I think that's cool. And I think you build a lot of community in that. I also think we need four hour game nights, <laughs> yeah. you know, just four hours of spending time in community. Um, and you can't do that in large churches. And I sit here saying that being the youth pastor of what is considered a large church in Pennsylvania, right? Um, because there are ways you can sh- do, like you can work through those structures as well. I don't, I think it's harder. Um, but as I look towards what I'm hoping church looks like in the future and what I'm hoping to be a part of in the future, I mean, that's what I'm shooting towards. Uh, something that here's what I would love. I would love it. If when I woke up on a Sunday morning, I didn't get skeeved out by, I don't get skeeved out by not going to church or by going to church. I get skeeved out by thinking the church is going to not look like the one hour service. Hmm. I want it to look like something different every single week. Yeah. I mean, I guess my question is, or question is rooted from just our, our entire perception of time and how we value that. Like, Mm -hmm. okay, let's take away church for a second. How long should your workout be? You know, take away running. Usually people go an hour or more. Like that's what it should be. And if you don't do an hour, like it's not good enough. Mm -hmm. Okay. Let's say go out workouts. When you cook stuff in the microwave, do you cook for a minute and 40 seconds? No, you do it by increments of 30 seconds total that you don't go in the middle. You crazy. (laughs) And if you do that, I promise the FBI is watching you. You do by 30 seconds, you do a minute, a minute, 30, two minutes, six minutes, whatever. Also, I'm always, is anyone else like sketched out when you have to cook something for more than two minutes in a microwave? I'm like, this feels like there should be a different way to cook this. I don't know. Maybe we should turn them oven on. (laughs) Yeah, seriously. But my my point being, why, why, what's wrong with the idea of a 20 minute church service? Like, can you imagine if like 200 people showed up for church on Sunday and church was literally 20 minutes? I I don't amazing. People would be astonished. And I'm not like advocating for that, but maybe I am like, I'm thinking about it right now. Like the question came to my mind as you were talking, because it's like, okay, like what, what does it mean to be church, to be gathered together in the name of Jesus? There needs to be a time of confession, presumably. Um, Okay. That's maybe my Presbyterian coming out. Uh, let's just go with the mic list. Pre- uh, confession, praise, so we can say music, uh, proclaiming the word, a sermon could be five minutes. I mean, like we could do church in 20 minutes, but we go, no, we need to have four songs and 
when you start to get in the, I just got out of a staff meeting today and we're planning the bulletin for Sunday. It's like, all right, well, we need to gather and we need a prelude song before the service, yeah. a pre pre-service music. Then we need a gathering song. That's going to get everyone together as we gather together. But then we're going to do a song that comes after the prayer of confession. That's like our confession response. Like we we're so grateful, you know, and then we're going to have an anthem. I'm not really sure what the definition of the anthem is in the liturgy, but there's an anthem. But then you preach and the, the song that comes right after the sermon, that's the sermon hymn. It's a hymn that's really capturing. And you just start going. And you're like, wait a minute, who made these rules? A body of believers at some point. Uh-huh. And who's to say there can't be a 20 minute church service. And then you're encouraged for the rest of the hour to stay and talk and break bread together and see how people are doing. And then or you know, for pick a, a half pick or pick a room. Right. If you need fellowship now, here's this room. If you need to sit in solitude because you haven't had a, t- a moment to yourself, here's this room. If you need uh, more praise, here's a room where that's going to happen. Right. <gasps> How cool. Uh, yeah. And I'm not saying like, oh, we should go start a church right now. I think the world needs far less churches than we have created, probably. But uh, that's another conversation. But I'm just saying, like, in general, like, we, we come up with these increments of time because we're so used to the way things work um, mm. that I think we get stuck in our own ways. And it's like, what is the guiding energy or force or mentality behind what we're doing? Because like, okay, we're talking about the timeline of the church service, but like I work with teens and, you know, if you come to church and to, you know, your church's education hour, if you do that in the morning, like I, I had a team tell me like, you know, I love church, but you know, I have to come to church for more than three hours on a Sunday between three separate things to actually be able to commune and hang out with people. Cause yep. you see people in the service, but you can't talk really not for more than two minutes. You see people and you interact more if you have a Sunday school model where you have a class of some sort, but it's not like you're talking about life. You're talking about the lesson. It's another learning. You just got done a sermon and you tried to learn all of that. And now you're going to go to a classroom and learn more things because that works. Everyone knows that eight hours of school all week long for 18 years worked out great. <laughs> and then so you leave the Sunday school or classroom setting. And for us, we do youth group on Sundays. They come back for a youth group. And for half a youth group, they get to finally hang out and talk and be just a community. And then we learn again. Mm-hmm. So the you know, you got people juggling around three separate ideas, learning messages, etc. And it's like two weeks from then, who's remembering most of what you said? Nobody, even the people that took notes the whole time. So it's like, what if we reorient our perspective of church to be more about practices together mm. that unite us rather than the dissemination of information? And so here's the side I want to be, I want us to be careful of, or maybe here's something I've tried to be careful of over the past year and a half. The people who wanted to be back in the church building don't care about the building. Like that's what we reduce them down to is like, they can only be a Christian in this building. No, that's not what they cared about in the in-between times they were having faith conversations with their friends. Mm. They were meeting the neighbor down the street who they've been praying for 
for the last three months because they've had cancer and they finally came back to church that Sunday. And so they finally got the opportunity to, to, to get an update on them. Right. These are the things people were missing. Sure. Some of them needed to be kind of like refocused because of the time we were in. Nobody's arguing that. Um, but what they were calling for was like, Hey, church is not the, the service because we provided the service online and guess what? Nobody cared. <laughs> not nobody cared. People still tuned in very, reg- like very regularly, but you can't, you couldn't, we just couldn't replicate it. And I think that's what even um, Justin was getting at with some of his coaching and, and spiritual direction stuff is like the machine was changing and, and the machine that we used or provided or the, the end product we provided, like it didn't fit for what people needed in that moment. And sure, we needed to be safe. We needed to stay distant for a period. We needed to make sure we were masking for a period. Some churches said like, we still can't, like we're just not comfortable meeting yet and, and kind of that sort of thing. But the people who are calling for us to meet, like if we just become deaf to them, then we've become deaf to the practice of church too. Mm. Like that's a big piece of what those people were missing and couldn't replicate on their own. And again, that comes back to us because we've said, this is how church gets done. And then the world got shaken up and for people or for, for churches that weren't comfortable meeting, they said, Oh no, church can be done other ways, but we never practiced it that way. And so we just like, hopefully we learn from that. And that's not to say like, we need to make a better product. That's to say, we've been doing this wrong all along and we need to reorient ourselves a little bit. Yeah. uh, Conversations we've been having uh, where we, where I am is revolve around okay, often what online church is, is we've designed church for being in person and now we're going to record it and mm-hmm. put it on online <laughs> so you can see it. Yep. But obviously there are a lot of things that happen in a, a worship service that's designed to be online that don't translate well to the online setting. I think mm-hmm. of like um, like live music. Right. Like when I growing up, like there were like a thousands and thousands of channels on satellite and you would see like these live shows, Billy Joel from 1990, whatever at Madison Square Garden. And I thought it was so weird. People watched concerts on TV. Now, on the one hand, if you love that band or that group or that artist, it's going to be enjoyable. But clearly that was a medium designed for you to be there in person. You get a glimpse of it by seeing the recording, but you're not experiencing it the way it was designed. Whereas I, many of you might laugh at me, but I paid for a virtual concert during COVID, maybe the last November, December. And it was amazing. And I felt real silly paying for it up front. I was like, but you know what? I need something like, I love this artist. I've never seen him live. And it was so interactive, like the, the camera work, like it was a completely different setting than anything I'd ever seen. And it was 
wonderful. Like it was so enjoyable, but it's because it was designed for that medium. It wasn't designed for a bunch of people to be watching in person and then put online. It was designed to be online. I wonder, and these are the conversations we're trying to have here uh, where I am. What does it look like for us to design a worship service to be experienced and enjoyed and engaged with online? Mm. So one question would be, all right, like, if you're videoing your service, do you have a video of the musicians like during a song or do you have the lyrics showing or do you have both? It's like, well, if there's no lyrics showing, then you're, you're assuming that the people at home aren't going to sing along, Mm -hmm. which defeats the purpose of creating the opportunity for us to worship through song together. Like it's things like that. Like we have to reorient ourselves completely because like you said, it's not like the people that want to be there together in person are just like, oh, so stubborn. That's the only thing that works. And it's like, no, like we shouldn't forsake the assembling of ourselves, use some of Paul's language. Uh, but we also need to recognize like what we're doing and why. And like to be church means to be together. It also means to love one another. And sometimes loving one another is not being together in some circumstances. So it, there's so many messy components to this. But it doesn't absolve the church of trying to find new ways to provide a space for us to do this together. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So now that we've come to zero conclusions or solutions. <laughs> yeah, this was just meant to be like a church riff. And the last thing I would just love to say is like, I just wish church like, ah, not even going to say it because I don't believe it. Um I'm really, so here's what I was going to say. I was going to say, I just wish church wasn't so tied to giving like church budget and programming and stuff, but I do. And so maybe that means we just need to have a bet. Like I, I want us to figure out what that means as the body of people. Like, what does it mean if we don't meet the money we said we were going to do, or if we have to allocate money in different places Um, I've not been a part of a church that doesn't like struggle with the money talk uh, in whatever it is, October, when it always happens. (laughs) Right. Um, So I just, I want to see that piece of church in the future, just kind of get itself figured out. I'm not asking for it to grow. I'm not asking for it to be perfect. I just want to, like we just have this model that like, Oh, we're going to have a budget and we're going to present the budget and we're not going to get the money we need. And we're going to cut our budget. And then we're going to start from a different place. It's like, um, well, <laughs> we, we kind of need it to be different than that. Um, and so I don't know how we get outside of that thinking in general, but I would love yeah. to see. It. Well, We'll you see what have... comes next. <laughs> Mike's like, I don't have any thoughts on that part. No, I, I agree with you. I think that in an ideal world, we work ourselves out of a job. I, I mean, I think mm-hmm. we allow the church to lead itself. And it doesn't mean there won't be pastoral roles, but I think ideally there wouldn't be paid staff. It, but where we are right now, I don't know that it can function that way, but maybe it can. Maybe I'm stuck in my own perspective of how things should be. But I don't know. Yeah, it's just one more thing to riff on. So, well, thanks for joining us for this one. Uh, 
There you got, <laughs> you got a. Dialogue? Oh my there you, gosh. There you got a dialogue uh, instead of a monologue uh, of just what rolls around in our brain when it comes to church. So, bye. Take care, everybody.